0: Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here. Thank you for your welcome. Thank you for invitation. And thanks for uh, Claire and others for setting things up uh, in the last few days. It's, it's a privilege to be here. I was trying to work out, was I ever in Carrick before? And I didn't think so. And when I came in and saw the building, I definitely haven't been uh, in this building before that. I can remember uh, NONS. It was an older one uh, than this but if I can sort of put another hat on this morning, uh, the president's hat, just to, to bring you greetings from all of our churches in the rest of, of the island, 119 in total. And it's lovely that, that we can come together and worship as one unique body. We're interdependent. We depend on each other And it's a lovely way to be because we can have our college, which is so amazing. We had our college Sunday last week, and and I sit on a few college committees and have done for years, but you always learn something new and to learn just about our college and and how it's going forward, how it's developing, uh, and the freshness of it, and to do that. Baptist Women under Gail Curry uh, as well, we can do that together with all of our our churches in that way. there's the a men's work sort of behind the scenes that goes on. It's very, very low-key, but it's there. Uh, and then and we have Baptist Missions, of course. Uh, not quite serving in Peru, but not quite finished in Peru. The connection with the seminary in Tacna is still going on there, and that's wonderful as well. Workers in France, workers in Ireland, workers in, in Spain. I'm looking forward, God willing, to, to having a little more uh, input and insight into what's going on in Baptist missions in the the next uh, few months as well. And of course, Baptist youth. Carrick's no stranger to Baptist youth, uh, whether it's the the youth work or children's work. I know you've given uh, to that work in particular over many years and given to all. So we're we're interdependent. We're also independent, of course, as well. Each church, as you know, is self governing. This church sits on its own. But isn't it wonderful to know that we have so many other churches who are praying together for us? Now, I want to just add a little one in that I don't normally. Put enough. I've been to a church in this role is to thank you for giving the association Dave Ramsey and Cara because I know Cara's behind him and the girls as well, the family. So thank you for sending Dave to the association. Um, I've probably worked more closely this year than any other year with Dave, but I've seen him for a long time uh, and see what he does. And I want you to keep praying for Dave. He not ask you for that uh, as much as I, I'm asking for it. Pray for the role that he has. Uh, if there were, I remember a pastor getting up and saying about pastoral works like juggling five plates on the, the old sticks. Some of you will remember seeing that on TV. I think the role of uh, the association director is, is balancing about a dozen plates and maybe more all at the one time. And Dave does it very, very well. Keep praying for him and for that work. And thank you, Dave. And thank you, church, uh, for what you do. So it's lovely to be part of something that is, is so wonderful and vast. All of God changing all the time in different ways, but hopefully changing for the better as missionaries are sent out, and the gospel is shared, and the Word is opened. And of course, that's what we believe in, uh, the power and the authority of Scripture to speak as God opens up His Word. So, we're going to do that now, and I want you to turn to the book of, of Habakkuk. Now, that's not your average Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I appreciate that. I appreciate there may be folks here who are not familiar with even where that would be. If you go to the start of the New Testament, Matthew's gospel, and work your way back five books, they're not that long, and you'll find a little prophecy, just three chapters of Habakkuk. And we're going to read and we're going to look at that just for a, a few moments this morning, hopefully for your encouragement, and just to let us see that maybe all the prophets weren't quite the same. But, um, in that Old Testament time. So Matthew, working back five, five books, a bit of the background is that, that Habakkuk has come to the Lord, and we'll, we'll touch on that again, and he's asked God a few questions. He's a bit concerned because the land that he's living in and ministering in about 610 BC, the land of Judah, the southern part of, of modern Israel. Is there, and, and the people who should be following the Lord are not following the Lord. They're, they're making idols, they're doing all sorts of other things, they're going away from God. And that Habakkuk's genuinely concerned about what's going on and, and where life is going for God's people. And as he does that, he also realizes that, that God will know the answer to that. God will know how to fix it, God will know how to sort things out. So God comes along in the little book of Habakkuk and says to Habakkuk, I'm going to sort it out because I will punish those, those Jews who are not living the way, and I'm going to bring upon them a, a greater nation. The Assyrians had already been, they had taken part of the, the top, the uh, Israel part, and the Babylonians were starting to creep in, or Chaldeans, same people, they were creeping in and taking over from Assyria. And God says, "I'm going to sort my people out by bringing another, larger empire in." And Habakkuk's a bit distraught at that because he thinks, "Lord, you're you're going to, you're going to challenge your people and bring your people back and and punish your people for the way they're going by bringing even worse people in." How are we to live in the light of that? How are we to live in, in, in such a changing world? And he says himself that he is going to stand on his watch, Tarna. We don't know if that was a, a real place. We don't know if it was something at the end of his garden where he went and sat up and had a little quiet time. We don't know what it was. Or metaphorically, it was just he's going to reflect and wait to see what God actually does and try and be ready for it. But God speaks to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, I'm sure, as a prophet, will then tell that to us or tell that to the people of his day. And we, of course, have it for ourselves in this little book. But things will open up uh, as we go through. We're going to read probably the most famous verses of this unusual uh, prophetic book. And it's found in chapter 3 and reading from going in from verse 16. Verse 16 of chapter 3. This is breaking into Habakkuk's own sort of testimony. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive field and the fields yield no food, The flock uh, be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's just pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us to understand it. And into the world where we are now living, where you have placed us, that we will be able to think, we will be able to process, we will be able to consider we will be able to trust, even though we may not fully understand, and even though we may not fully like what is happening. But we thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is faithful, the one who never changes, the one of whom we have been singing is king of all, the one who's brought us to himself in amazing grace. Give it to us something that we could never have earned. We have eternal life. We have salvation. We have you, O Lord. We pray your blessing upon us, and we do pray for all of our sister churches today, wherever they're meeting, whatever time, whatever format their service is, we know that your word will be open. And we pray, O God, that you will speak richly into their lives as well. We might follow you more closely, walk with you daily, and know you more, Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this church for all the needs that are here. You know every one of them. You know, those who are grieving, those who are perhaps awaiting that appointment, those who are seeking guidance for the future, those who are not sure what life is really all about, those here, O Lord, who perhaps don't even know you. Lord, we ask your blessing and your grace. Bless this church guide them in the future. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done through them and together with our association of churches. We pray richly that the name of Christ Jesus may be known in heart and mind and will in so many people across our land, in Carrickfergus, in, from, and through this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The difference between Habakkuk and the other prophets is very simple. Every other prophet generally in the the scheme of God was a person that God saved, brought it to himself, and then said, I want you to go and I want you to tell the people my message. So many others like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others before that, others after that were doing the same thing. Habakkuk was a prophet, so he did that. It's not recorded what all he said uh, that we have for ourselves, but this is recorded. But the way Habakkuk differs. It's because of the way he does things. And the way he does this thing, he comes and he asks God, and he tells God, and God then answers back and tells him. It's a two-way conversation. At that time, nobody else was, was privy to it. We are so privileged to have it in our generation today, and there's a good reason for that, because it's God's Word as much as any other part of God's Word. It's God's Word speaking into us in a more personal way, if I can put it like that, not at the exclusion of other parts of Scripture, because God speaks in many different ways through His Word. But it's that intimacy of someone who is serving God, yet not entirely sure what God's doing, and comes and asks, Lord, what's this really all about? What is going on here? And so he questions God. If we could have the next uh, slide, that makes him a little bit unusual uh, in those things and in the context that we have already uh, come across. But questions are nothing strange in, in the Bible. There are many of them. Many of them take place whenever we've just come through Christmas, and, and Mary has uh, said, as we have often heard at Christmas time, "How can this be? <laughs> I'm a virgin. I, I, I can't." And she questions the concept of God and the best intentions, of course. Moving right through the life of the Lord Jesus, you've got Pilate who says, Are you the king of the Jews? And then you come to the Magi going back to the birth who say, Where can we find the one who was born king of the Jews? Whenever Peter is sharing the gospel and and writing things, he's living in an era when Jesus has gone and is expected to return. And he summarizes the culture of of his day when he asks the question of the people, where is the promise of his coming? That's what you're asking. Well, let me tell you this with the Lord, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years as a day is his answer. And then God asks questions too, doesn't he, Psalm 2? Why do the nations rage? Why do the people's plot in vain? There's nothing wrong in asking questions, provided we know what the question is, who it's being directed to, who's asking the question, and what the motives are. And all of those things are good when you come to Habakkuk. He is someone who wants to know the answer to a question because it's affecting the way he lives and does things. He directs it to God, and he asks it in a way that is honest and untrue about about life. And his motives aren't to tell God, you're wrong, you're doing things in a different way. His motives are simply, Lord, how can I live through this? How can I minister through this time? I sat in on a, a service a few weeks ago, and there was a pastor of more Baptist, my home Baptist church, uh, Jim McGill, who, who put a little title on things, or he mentioned this in passing. He said, our outlook is determined by our uplook. Our outlook is determined by our uplook. And I think that's so true in so many areas of life. And I don't know what you're going through personally, uh, I know your vacancy as a church. Uh, But in the various departments even of this church in which you're serving and praying for, if you're not directly involved and giving to, maybe you have some questions, and you you look out on things, and and, and life is hard. The the prospect of that hospital appointment, the prospect of of what's after that, and the pain that has has come that wasn't there before, and and the loss that is there, and and all sorts of things can, can take us in directions. Relationships are Straining relationships can break as well how do we how do we go out there when we can 't see the future? how do we cope with that that 's exactly where Habakkuk found himself, and yet the Lord is explaining to him your outlook on life. Habakkuk will determine upon your outlook, your walk with me your traveling. With me, there are, In those last verses in particular, there are five very, very simple things, and if we can just highlight them there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with them. I hope you can see them okay. Uh, the first one, that he is still able to rejoice, even though he doesn't know what's going on, even though he doesn't know where life uh, is going itself. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 18. And they're not all in chronological order, by the way, but they're all here. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. His nation is about to be overrun by a large enemy, and he doesn't know where it's going, and yet he is able to say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Don't miss out the word yet. Even though, even though I can't see the future, even though the future maybe doesn't look as clear-cut and as nice and precise as I would like it to be, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Joy is a theme that runs through the Bible. And I'll I'll be honest, it's very, very hard to actually (laughs) tell what joy is. But then we're told that in the Bible, we're told about a joy that is inexpressible so we can't find the words to express what joy is. But if you're a Christian, you're walking with God, you've been through a difficult time, you will know what joy is. It's not that far removed from peace, but it's not exactly the same. And if you want a a highlight on that and a better way of understanding that, go on to John Piper, uh, and you'll find there, if you Google it, uh, what's the difference between peace and joy? And he gives a wonderful explanation that I'm not going to go into today. But it's been able to move forward with worship in our hearts and our lives. With the knowledge that underneath there is one who is the God of our salvation. Whenever you jump through to the New Testament of Philippians you find this mention. Paul mentions it in particular three times. He mentions it more than that, but in particular, in chapter 3, verse 1 of a letter to a church that was going through difficulties, and he himself was writing from a prison cell or a house arrest at the very least, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. God's there. We can do this. We can focus upon Him. And then he goes on in chapter 4, verse 4, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it. Rejoice. 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 Be filled with the knowledge that your life is undergirded by God, the God of your salvation. Mark Dever, who's the, the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church uh, in Washington. And by the way, I just want to mention that. I meant to mention this earlier. In connection with our college, uh, Bobby Jemison, who's the assistant pastor in Capitol Hill Baptist Church, is speaking this Thursday night on Zoom through the college. Two lectures, they call them the H.D. Brown, the Hugh, Hugh Brown lectures. And if you want to find more about that, go on to our website. He's speaking about Hebrews, and I'm sure you won't be disappointed by that. But Mark Dever is a senior pastor, and Mark Dever has put together a book with the help of others of a lot of looking at the Scriptures, the Old Testament then into the New. And he tells this story. It's a story, rather, that came from a couple of centuries ago. Jonathan Edwards, a great man of God in the past, particularly in the States, uh, found himself in an awkward position. His church basically fired him. We don't want you anymore. I don't know what that would would feel like. Some theological disagreement the church says, go out. And there was a bystander who must have been in the company of Edwards for the rest of that week. And this is what the bystander said, I never saw the least, sorry, beg your pardon, I'm starting in the wrong place. That faithful witness received that shock unshaken. I never saw the least symptoms of displeasure in his countenance the whole week but he appeared like a man of God whose happiness, I'm going to put joy in there, whose joy was out of reach of his enemies. That faithful witness received the shock unshaken. I never saw the least symptoms of displeasure in his countenance the whole week, but he appeared like a man of God whose happiness or joy was out of reach of his enemies." The joy of the Lord is so rich and so deep that even Habakkuk in his time can say, well, Lord, I can't exactly see what you're doing. I hear what you're doing. I don't understand what you're doing. It doesn't seem like the right way, but Lord, Lord, I know you better than than I know my circumstances. And I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That's very different, by the way, from just putting a smile on your face and saying, I'm going to be joyful. Rejoicing in the God of our salvation means we take time with God. We get to know the Lord. He opens up to us and He gives to us a joy that Peter calls that inexpressible joy. So he can rejoice. The second thing is that God will strengthen him. Look at verse 319, verse A. Uh, God the Lord is my strength. Now, when you look back to verse 16, where we started to read, he says this honestly to God. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me at the prospect. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. You can see he's not exactly in the best place, even physically. Trembling body, lips quivering. We've all been there over news that has come or something that has happened. And there's a a numbness enters into us. Our legs tremble beneath us. And we we know there's more to come. What does he say? God the Lord, in verse 19, is my strength. There's a connection, of course, with the verse before where we we read in another little prophet that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. But God speaks into all of our situations. Psalm 32, verse 8, God says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And God, in that sense, in 32, is just saying, I'm right here with you. I will give you everything that you need. You move to Psalm 23, and you look at that, the Lord is my shepherd. The old version says, there is not, or, nothing I want. I will need nothing, because you will supply everything. And he goes on to open up that psalm. Many of you will know that. But moving back to Philippians in 4, chapter 13, Paul there says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If he was just to say, I can do all things, that's a bit presumptuous. It's a bit obnoxious. It's a bit out there. It's a bit arrogant. But no, I can do all things through Christ. He is the the link. He is the greatest link. Christianity is never a weak link. Christ is never a weak link. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He pours in to my life. So here's a man can know the joy of the Lord. He can worship. He knows that he will be given the strength that God will give to him. And thirdly, he will be made suitable for the situation. Look at verse 16, or verse 19 rather. And the second part, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. I don't know if you ever noticed that before, but, but what Habakkuk is saying there is he prays this back to God. Lord, you will actually make me fit the circumstances. That's quite different from Romans chapter 8.28 in one sense. where we read that God will actually work all things together for good to those who are loved by him, called by him, according to his purpose. God will do the moving of circumstances. And here it says, no, the circumstances, don't worry about those Habakkuk, because what I'm going to do is to make you fit the circumstances. There are actually two sides of the one coin in life. Have you thought about that before? I know some people don't like Romans 8.28 because it's it's one of those, (coughs) pardon me, oft-quoted verses and sometimes quoted at the wrong time. When somebody maybe doesn't need to hear that just at that point. But learning and teaching and hearing about it, we've got these things that go perfectly together. God works all of the circumstances around for His people, for His good, for their, for their good, for His glory. And at the other side, He makes us fit into those circumstances in a way that we never thought we could. He makes my feet like the deer's so that I can tread on high places. It's a lovely thought when you think about it. And God will do that. He will supply all our need. He will do everything that we need because of his riches and glory. But people come and go, people do this and that, and God remains the same. Maybe you find yourself today, whatever the circumstances are in your life, and and they're all over the place, and you say, well, how can I? I don't mean this lightly, and I don't mean it in in any other way than than a biblical good way. There is no such term as I can't when God's involved. There is no such term as I can't when God's involved. He will move the circumstances. He will allow us to be shaped and molded to fit those circumstances. That's how good the care of God is for whatever your situation is, whether it's as a church, whether it's as a, a group of churches in this area, our association, or maybe into your own family or into your own personal circumstances. God does this. He is that God. And He does it because He is the sovereign Lord. You find the sovereignty of God, the overruling aspect of God right throughout the whole of this little book of Habakkuk. But if I can take you back to chapter 1, very simply on verse 12. Habakkuk starts off, and he says this in verse 12, are you not from everlasting? Now, he goes on from there, and he talks about man-made idols that have just appeared by the work of someone's wonderfully creative hands, but of no value whatsoever. They can't speak, they can't do anything, they can't give counsel, they just sit there. But God's eternal. Habakkuk himself and all the people around him will one day fade. He has seen many funerals take place. He's attended many, I am sure. He has seen people die, he has seen people get sick. He knows how life works. And yet he comes back and he prays to this God and asks this God a question. Are you not the everlasting one? And what he's saying is, are you not the sovereign one? of all things. You're the one who makes the fig trees to blossom, the fruit to be on the vines, the the olive trees to be there and rich in all their beauty and wonder and and flavor, the fields that are filled with food, the flocks that can flow. Lord, you're the creator God, the one who flung stars into space, as we used to sing, stretched out the heavens, in Isaiah 40. Can anybody give counsel to this God? He knows who God is. And in the light of that, he comes, and he says, you are the sovereign, ultimate ruler. And if you read through this carefully and, and take a picture from the, the Bible itself, you find that God is the God of the present. God is the God of the past. God is the God of the future. And at the end of the present, or at the end of the future and the end of the past, there's no starting and ending He's eternal. Always been, always is, ever will be. And, and Habakkuk knows that. And he comes to the God who can thoroughly be trusted. And takes us to the last one. He can live by faith. This is perhaps the most famous verse that's found in, in Habakkuk. Uh, apart from those cluster of verses that we're focusing on. Chapter 2, verse 4. This is God's answer. Behold, his soul is puffed up, but is not upright with him. In reference to those who are going their own way, doing their own thing, setting their own agenda. And look at the words that follow. But the righteous, the righteous shall live by his faith. That verse is taken and used three times in the New Testament. The walk of faith. Christian faith is so called because it is Christianity following Christ by faith. It's a reasonable thing to look into the Christian point, but there comes a point where you have to take that step out and believe it and rest your everything upon it and give life totally to the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning or watching in and and that's not where you are. You believe in God. You're a, a reasonable church goer if, if you could, you would attend that. You would give. You're, you're sociable. Uh, you're amicable. You're, you're all the things that a good person would and should be, perhaps, but you don't know the Lord. And the key for this man is that he can live by faith. He can live by faith, not in himself and his own strength, not in himself and his own thoughts, his own resources, or the resources of those around him and the encouragement of those around him, which is good in itself to a certain degree, but he lives by faith in God. The Apostle Paul put it like this, and again Philippians, he said, I, I want to know him. 30 years a Christian, and he says, I want to know Jesus. I know a little about him, but there's so much more to know about him. And by faith, I walk with him. And he even said it in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, looking back, perhaps a little backward glance, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. If we can take a a glance across to Romans 28 or Romans 8 again, God has given His Son to the church, God has given His Son to every individual believer. Is there anything that He will not give? for the Christian to live that life of faith if he's given his son? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, of course not. There's nothing greater that God can give than giving his own true son for our salvation. We live by faith. Mark Dever in that same book talks about the Word of God being central to our faith in that Christ is spoken into our our lives and we move forward. That radiates into a church. It was lovely to hear in the time of prayer beforehand, someone praying for God's Word in this town as it's opened up and shared, and in this church as it's opened up and shared. Mark Dever goes on to say in the light of that, knowledge of God is what fed Habakkuk's longing for God. Knowledge of God is what fed Habakkuk's longing for God and enabled him to live by faith. I don't know where you find yourself today in life, but I'm quite sure there are issues, whether it's a church level, wider level locally, personal level, family level, you will know. It's only by following even these thoughts that Habakkuk gives to us he lived in a real life situation and god spoke into his life and he spoke it back to god he said lord you're the only one who can help me there may be some of you here watching and you're feeling you've worked your way through some things on your own i don't need jesus I don't need this Christian stuff. Uh, My wife and I watched a film, one of the films over Christmas. I think it was probably the only one we watched. I'll not tell you what it is. But the story of it was this guy who was trying to better himself each time. And every time he bettered himself, there came that point where where there was a hurdle, and he cleared the hurdle, and that moved him on to a, a higher level, at least in his mind but actually he was spiraling downwards each time. Another hurdle, yes, but down and down until it closes where the door is just shut in darkness. That's the end of the film. If you're living your life without the Lord Jesus Christ, you may think you're doing well and facing the future well and the resources that you have are sufficient. They can never be sufficient. Christ Jesus came into the world to, to save sinners to rescue us to himself. He won, and I say that very carefully, he won all these things for us at the cross that we could sing with joy, we could walk by faith, we could look at the world and say, well, Lord, I don't understand it, but I know you're totally in control of it and you're fitting me to walk in the world as one of your people. And I praise you with joy in my heart. Where does your confidence lie? as a church? Where does your confidence lie in relation to your life, family, work, world, whatever it is? Every time you switch the news on, it will come up with something that will interact with your brain, and you'll struggle and say, wow, another one, another issue? When we walk with God, He becomes the center of our universe. And we can walk with Him. And even though we ask questions, we keep going back to things like these. We can rejoice with God. We will be strengthened by God. God will suit us for the circumstances. He is the ultimate ruler of all, and we can walk with Him and live with Him by faith. Habakkuk, I'm sure, didn't find it easy. But boy, did he know the help of the Lord. And it's there for us to read through. I urge you to do that if you have never read read the little book of Habakkuk. Questioning God, God answering, and Habakkuk's response. It's a lovely little book. I believe, I'm told, uh, if you're involved in precept, and I know some of you are here, I think this is one of the studies that might be coming up on your calendar, Habakkuk. But let's just pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for your living word. Pray for anyone, O God, this morning who finds themselves looking out and wondering why or how or what if. Lord, we ask that you would be pleased to just strengthen them with your strength, your joy, your hope, your faith, because you're the sovereign God. You're working all things together for your people, and you're fitting your people to walk in the circumstances. Lord, we ask your blessing upon individuals. We ask your blessing, God, upon this church, upon this community of Carrickfergus, upon our, our nation, upon the world global issues. Lord, we need you, and we thank you that you are there for us. Indeed, as we've been reminded over the Christmas season, you are there with us. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to sing about the God who never changes, ancient of days, and then we're going to go straight into our communion service stand together as we sing Enchants of Days.